bringing you key insights, tips, and advice from the brightest minds in the Canadian franchise industry. This is the Franchise Canada Chats Podcast. Welcome to the Franchise Canada Chats Podcast, where we take you into the world of franchising. Our interviews are with franchisees, franchisors, and industry leaders who give on the pulse expert advice and share their franchising insights and experiences. I'm your host, Stephanie. This is season four, episode 11 of the spring season. In this episode, I talk to Pinpoint Chief Product Officer, Sarah Steiner, and Location Specialist, Adrian Polidoro. Pinpoint uses location intelligence powered by AI to help businesses and retailers find the best locations for expansion. Here, Sarah and Adrian share, how the company uses a variety of useful and unique data collection techniques to help business owners find prospective retail locations. The many brands that Pinpoint has successfully worked with, including some fellow CFA members, and the new Pinpoint grant program that Adrian introduced during the COVID-19 pandemic, including the value it brings to business owners and franchisees looking to expand in their communities. Enjoy the episode. So my first question is for Sarah. To start, can you tell us a bit about Pinpoint and how it came to be? And what does your role as Chief Product Officer entail? Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to start with a little story about our CEO and co-founder, Jim, uh, Jim Robeson. He he came from a small family background. They owned a deli out in Gananoque, Ontario. Uh, For those who are familiar with Prince Edward County, Jim and his family wanted to open up a second location after being in the business for 20 years or so, a long time. And what they found was they, you know, they knew the Gananoquan market really well, but when they went to look for a second location, they were kind of going off of gut instinct and just kind of what they knew where they thought it would be best for their second location. And it ultimately didn't end up as well as they wanted it to. And I think that was a bit of an aha moment for Jim where he realized boy, if we had had access to information or more data, more analytics, more insight into if this was a good decision, you know, here they're going to invest a lot of money into another location. It's a big, big decision for entrepreneurs to do this. And uh, had they had a bit more insight, it maybe could have gone better. So that was kind of where the idea of Pinpoint was born. And he then went to UW to make something of it where he met our co-founder, Adam Saunders. And Adam had been working in the GIS space, which is geographic information systems. It's for mapping and data. Um, He'd been working in that space for a a while and noticed that there's some pretty clunky, outdated software out there um, that businesses, particularly retailers, are using to make these types of decisions around where to put a location. So The two of them paired up, started Pinpoint, uh, went through a few different acceleration programs in both Waterloo, Canada, but then also in the States. They were part of an incubator program called Y Combinator. And then when they came back to Canada, they continued to build the the product and team. And that was six years ago. So that was when I got involved back in 2015. Uh, I met them through the University of Waterloo. And now I lead our, our product development, really kind of trying to build on you know, why are we building what we're building and how do we do it? Awesome. And Adrian, what about you? What does your role as location specialist entail? Yeah, it's uh, pretty straightforward. Think of it as like the first point of contact 
for potential people who are looking to maybe use pinpoint services. I'll help them kind of navigate what the software is, what our professional services are, if we're doing custom consulting or something like that. Um, and just kind of work through the journey of getting to know the software and, and better understanding what their needs are to see if we're a fit to help with that. So that's kind of on the, the front end. And then throughout that, it, it's kind of similar to Sarah, where it's just keeping the, the thumb on the pulse of what people need and making sure that I'm bringing that feedback to the team to know that we can work on the tool in a way that it's going to benefit people who may be using it. Great. And Sarah, what services and support does Pinpoint provide retail business owners and entrepreneurs? And what are some of the advantages of using Pinpoint services? Yeah, so uh, we like to think about the, you know, the solution and the offering that we have in sort of four key pillars um, that are applicable to retailers. So the first one is around managing their location network. So if you need to have that single source of truth or like a master set around um, your location, your performance at that location, the different attributes and, and information related to it, Pinpoint can provide that. The second one is identifying. So helping people discover new markets, helping them dig into the different data sets that are available and even um, have pointers towards what, not just what markets might be a good fit for them, but what real estate sites might be a good fit. We have a pretty nifty little um, property plugin where people can have their brokers submitting listings to them so that they can actually see what property availabilities there are in a given market. The third one is validating. So doing market research, reporting, understanding, you know, how does a, a certain site benchmark against what you're looking for? So really having that sort of third party scientific approach to your decision. And the fourth one is on growing. So whether that's finding new store locations and predicting future performance of a site could be predicting the impact of opening up another location on your existing stores. It could also be predicting in a given market, what kind of products and services do you think will you do better with in that market? So some of our customers will, will predict sales. You know, they can go and look at a map, drop a pin at a certain intersection and then get a sales prediction. So, you know, by year five, you could be doing X dollars in sales. But we can also go a step further to say, this market might be better suited towards this service or this product that you have. I would say the advantages are, are really around having an easy to use solution where all of your data is combined with different third-party data sets that help you make those decisions. And some changes that we've made to the platform this year make it particularly applicable to retailers operating in a time where, you know, there's a lot of unknowns in the market just around COVID uh, and in the state of the Canadian economy, that it's kind of more important than ever to have data that you can use to help make decisions, you know, really support your decision-making, but be able to use that data in a way that is flexible and adaptive to different plans that you might have because retailers are having to be super, uh, agile at this point in time. And on that note about data, Adrian, how does Pinpoint go about sourcing data and statistics for entrepreneurs to use for location scouting? Yeah, so a, a handful of core data sets in Pinpoint that I think were part of the initial build of the tool. And then since then, newer data sets have been added. So uh, the number one thing people have always looked at is demographics. And uh, since Pinpoint is all of North America in Canada, it's from StatsCan. 
And in the States, it's the U.S. Census Bureau. They're a little bit more lucky in, in that they, in the States anyways, they have annual updates at least, which is wonderful where we're kind of limited to the, like every four years or something like that. And then points of interest. So when people are mapping out other retailers or co-tenancies, for example, uh, we get that from ChainXY, which is a great vendor. Traffic, there, there are two sources of traffic in Pinpoint. And really depending on how important up-to-date traffic is, for the retailer, they can choose one or the other. One that's included in, in core pinpoint is municipal counts. So where townships, municipalities will commission traffic studies, we have a great database of all of those counts within pinpoint. I think anybody listening would who has experience looking for traffic counts within Canada, they know that they're not always available where you're looking at a site. And if it is, it may be from you know four or five or even longer years ago. So we came up with mobile data traffic using literally cell phone pings. Like if somebody has apps on their phone that has location permissions enabled, it's constantly pinging SafeGraph, who's our vendor for that raw data. And then we add data and process it through a lot of things that I don't understand how it is. We've got a great data team and a product team that's a lot smarter than me that have made it so that we can get 85% accurate basically anywhere across Canada, which is, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and then the last data set would be geosocial segmentation data, which we've had. Sarah, when did we bring that in to the app? Uh, that was about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been great ever since then. So we, we work with spatial.ai with Leiden and the team there. They're an awesome, awesome kind of forward thinking company that collects social media segmentation data. So when users are on Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, anything like that, if they're, if they're making a post that's geotagged, like I'm at Adrian's house in Lakeside, then that's going to get ca captured in any hashtags that they're putting onto that. Whatever I'm talking about in the post, it's all getting collected. And then they put that post into one of 72 different segments. Could be, you know, dog lovers or craft beer lovers, for example. But yeah, that's, that's the source for that is spatial.ai. And I found it to be a really, really compelling data set if there's a logical connection between the performance of a given location or a given concept and one of their segments. Wow. That's so interesting. <laughs> awesome. It's pretty cool. It's, it's uh, yeah. A lot, you know, people have tried to do things like that in the past, like psychographics. You might've heard of that in the past, which is fine. And a lot of people still use it, but to my understanding, it's, it's basically a company's best guess at taking demographics and grouping them together and then making a guess at what they think the personalities or attitudes would be of a given grouping of demographic variables, but it's not based on any real world data. Whereas social segmentation data, it's literally what people are talking about, the attitudes and beliefs of an area that are most prevalent. It's really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. And Sarah, what kind of franchise brands has Pinpoint worked with in the past? Do you have any success stories that you'd like to share? For sure. I can, um, share a little bit more about that. We work with lots of different Canadian brands, uh, some who are CFA members, <laughs> some that probably are not, but uh, they range from, you know, smaller, smaller businesses with maybe, uh, you know, five to 20 locations all the way up to your national or multinational brands. Um, so we work with companies like Symposium, Osmos, Edo Japan, Second Cup, Massage Addict, Eminem Food Market, Tim Hortons and, and some of those types of names. So lots of familiar logos for the Canadians listening in. And those different brands 
I mean, we would obviously help them with those four pillars around identifying, growing, managing, and, uh, and validating their decisions. Uh, but we can also help them more understand their network and, and really the, the customers that they're attracting. So understanding what kinds of, to Adrian's point, demographic characteristics we see, what are they talking about? What are their behavioral patterns? Where do they like to go? And then turning that into sort of more, more predictive strategies. And I'll, I'll speak maybe real quickly to, to Ozmaus. They're one of our, our newer customers that we got to start working with actually during the, the COVID pandemic here earlier this year. And uh, they're another smaller family business that has seen incredible success in Canada. I think they're, are they at over 60 locations now, Adrian, or maybe more than that? I think more than that. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe upwards of 100. And uh, they've brought on Pinpoint recently to be able to help uh, better understand which markets they want to grow into as they continue to expand and what kinds of people they're going to be pursuing in those markets. They also are using uh, some of that mobile location data that Adrian talked about, and in particular, our traffic counts to, to really get a sense of, okay, if they're looking at a certain site, they want to see the types of volumes that are coming by on that roadway and, and if they're going to attract enough of a customer base to come in and uh, purchase products from them. Interesting that you say that. I believe Osmos hit 100 locations last fall because they sent us like a press release about it. So Amazing. it's so cool to know that you guys kind of helped and were behind that. That's awesome. Great group of people. Like a really, really good. I love the family, the, the team of people that they've brought in to help them scale. Like it's, it's one of those organizations that I'm just so happy to be partnered with. I want to see them grow and grow and grow. They're great. Mm-hmm. They seem to be doing really well. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Did you know that Franchise Canada has a newsletter sent twice a month that's packed full of fresh franchise opportunities? With Franchise Canada e-news, you get new content from Franchise Canada magazine, franchisee success stories, industry news about CFA members, educational videos all about franchising, and you can keep up to date on the newest episodes of the Franchise Canada Chats podcast that you're listening to right now. Plus, by subscribing to Franchise Canada e-news, you get a free subscription to Franchise Canada magazine. Subscribe now at FranchiseCanada.online. Now back to the podcast episode you are enjoying. Adrian, can you tell me about your new initiative called the Pinpoint Grant Program and how it came about during the pandemic? Sure, happy to. So the Pinpoint Grant Program, I'll talk about essentially you know, how it came about and what it is, is kind of one in the same being a small company that pinpoint is and and the team that we are, we're we're pretty careful in in who we we bring on and and the kind of culture that we have. Uh, It seems to be very open and conscientious people that, that genuinely want good things for other people. So kind of in, in discussion through the years, it's always been, well, how do we support? It's a tough piece of the market is people getting into starting to grow, whether it's the first location, the second or third, but not at the point yet necessarily where they have a great budget to be able to buy analytical tools and, and to get the support that would really help them grow in an intelligent way. Like Sarah talked about at the start, that's the roots of Pinpoint, the Robeson General Store and, and that whole kind of catalyst for wanting to be able to make better decisions using data. 
So we've always had that as an objective to be able to support that piece of the market, but the, the metrics just don't make sense a lot of the time. So it's been something we've been swirling around for a while. How do we do that? And then we came to the point where we realized we just need to be able to offer something to them and essentially eat the cost of it, but be okay with that because it's a way to give back and it's a way to help support the industry across Canada, across the States. That's been so good to us. We're really, really lucky, really, when you think about it for a company to start and to be able to work within an industry and grow to the point that we have the kind of logos that uh, our clients that Sarah listed off there. Like that's an amazing thing in a short period of time for a small group of people's people to accomplish. So, you know, how do you give back? And so now relating it to the pandemic, when this happened, I remember we were sending emails around internally and trying to figure out, well, how can pinpoint help? There's one thing about helping our current customers and sort of rejigging contracts maybe, or, or just helping people with the financial aspect that we could uh, current customers to get through when the uncertainty happened, but there's not a lot that we could do to help people respond to the pandemic using pinpoint. So using the tool that we have tried and tried to think of, of ways that maybe we could pivot, maybe we could make a couple changes that people could then actually use pinpoint to change in their operations, to respond to the trends emerging amongst COVID. But it's just not a fit. That's not what pinpoint is really great at those pillars that Sarah talked about, but it isn't great. For example, at how do you cut your operational budget by 75%, you know, to, to match the, the reduction in traffic you may have seen during this time. We just can't help with that. But what we did identify is that it takes people entering into the retailing space across North America to be able to innovate and to be able to grow that industry. So that's where we decided we could probably help is, is just being willing to spend time with these people and give some access to pinpoint and give some insights to make sure that those initial openings, as you know, Stephanie, working with the CFA are so important, like that first, second, third, they're so crucial to make a splash. That's where we can help. That's where we can help them make the best decision that they can without having to spend the same kind of budget that a bigger brand would. Great. And on that note, what are some advantages that this program provides for prospective franchisees and entrepreneurs, basically speaking to our audience of listeners who are existing franchisees who may want to expand, prospective franchisees looking for their first location, or entrepreneurs who are interested in the franchising industry? Yeah, good question. So really, I think for, for kind of all those three buckets of people, the use case is similar in, like we discussed, those initial openings are so important. And the value that the, the grant program brings is the ability to compare sites that they may already be looking at, but from that data-driven perspective. So a lot of people will work with a real estate broker, a commercial real estate broker, which is a really good thing. And once you get to the, you know, the, the actual lease negotiations and the transactional aspect of that, it's important to be with somebody that you trust. They'll also give you some insight into the sites, how they compare against one another. But what we find time and time again is people want to have a little bit more control. They want to be in the driver's seat a bit more and to be able to find the insights that they're looking for when they need them and not necessarily waiting to hear back from somebody or not necessarily feeling like they may be a burden. You know, a lot of these people will, will feel I'm only doing one site with a broker and I know this broker is working with huge clients. I might not get all of their attention right away where this gives them an opportunity to answer all of their data questions ahead of time. And then when they do go have that conversation with their broker, it's a really meaningful one. They can get the, the maximum value out of it because they're speaking the same language. 
They already know what's happening at a site. The broker knows what's happening at a site and they can, uh, you know, make good use of their time when working together. So that's, that's to me, the, the big value in it. It's not, it cannot replace the work that a broker does. And it, it it's only serves to augment and support the work that the broker and the franchisee or the entrepreneur may, may do together. Perfect. And Sarah, what, if any, impact has COVID-19 had on Pinpoint? And beyond the grant program, how else has Pinpoint adapted in response to the pandemic? Well, we, like we've had lots of impacts from COVID-19, I think. Um, for one, our company is now working completely remotely, like many, many other businesses. So there was certainly lots of change. I think kind of like what Adrian was talking about just a bit ago, you know, we didn't drastically pivot our business model during this time because we've certainly heard and, and felt from the industry that data, data like ours and analytics and, and tools to help with decision making maybe play more of an important role than ever when, you know, when you're operating in this kind of uncertainty. But what we did do this past year was actually come out with a new, uh, a new feature set or module, whatever you want to call it, around network simulations. And basically what it is, is it's a scenario planning tool where retailers can take kind of those models and those data sets that we have and put them together into different scenarios that might play out. (laughs) So depending on what happens with COVID, depending on what's happening with, you know, if there are lockdowns, depending on what's happening with the real estate market and where they might find new opportunities, they can really plan out different changes to their network. So if they're going to add a store, remove a store, relocate maybe to a new market, maybe try a new store format uh, and, and do a bit of a renovation. Like there's lots of different events that they can simulate. And then basically what it does is it tells you what your net impact would be to the business. So if you do X, Y, Z, and A, then this is going to be the outcome. And you can kind of predict, predict what might happen before actually having to just wait and see. So that's been a really, really interesting innovation that we've come up with over the last year. Game changer, by the way. <laughs> Sarah's, Sarah's maybe underselling it. That's crazy to be able to list off multiple things to be happening within a portfolio and run a simulation that takes all of those into account with a nice little user interface to show you what's happening. It's crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds super cool. And Adrian, um, with the Pinpoint Gram program, are there any successes you'd like to share? Do you have any short or long-term goals for your program? The goals, I want to help everybody that I possibly can. And the team feels the same way to, uh, yeah, if, if there's anybody that it's a fit for, that's that's looking to get some support in these openings, these initial openings, that we have the capacity to do. Like, look, running a, a grant program or, or um, what do you say, like corporate social responsibility, none of that is our strong suit. We, we're not, we haven't done that before, so it's not what we specialize in. We, we specialize in this software our modeling, predictive modeling capabilities and running the company. This is a new thing for us, and but we still have to maintain the company and, and grow the company as best we can. So capacity is, uh, as in every organization, it's a real constraint, but I want to I wanna be able to support as many people as we can while managing the priorities that we have. But regarding a, a, good, a good use case so far, Sarah worked with somebody not too long ago that it was a great fit for. Yeah, 
Yeah, this was kind of a bit of a beta participant. So we've we've really just launched the program. So no, you know, no no completed success stories yet of someone who opened up a location and, and it worked out. <laughs> but um, I worked with a organization called Kind Yoga. They're a one shop stop kind of place. They it's a yoga studio based out of Markham, Ontario. If anyone's from Markham Stovall area. And it's a really beautiful little studio located outside on a farm, right near a farmer's market. So people can go do their yoga, you know, walk through the fields, experience nature, that whole kind of whole experience. And what we did was we worked with the founder of Kind Yoga, Ellen Reeser, to kind of understand what the characteristics of her market are, because she was looking to open up another location, maybe in the Toronto area but actually more specifically and more recently in Squamish, BC, which is totally different. And, you know, if you don't know a market, again, going back to sort of like the story with Jim and his family, if you don't have that local market knowledge, it's really tough to know where to, you know, where to hone in on and and what kind of parts of a city or town you might want to consider. So what we did was we looked at the, the market market. We looked at sort of, okay, how many people live within a certain radius well, actually, we didn't use a radius. We used a drive time. So people are going to drive about five to 10 minutes to get to yoga. We looked at how many people there might be. We looked at, you know, income, age, all of those demographics. But then we also pulled in some of the other data sets that we talked about earlier, specifically geosocial. This is a really cool application of this data set. So we looked at what geosocial segments were most highly like correlated within the area that she has her current studio. And the segments that came out were all related to farm culture, yoga advocates, and mindfulness and spirituality. So those are the themes of what people are talking about at that location, which is completely telling of, of like, we, we know why, <laughs> because there's a yoga studio there and there's a farmer's market there. So that's what people are communicating on social media. So what we did is we then looked at those types of pockets within Squamish, where those behaviors were really highly indexed. And those were areas that she then pursued real estate opportunities in. So it's just a really neat way, again, of taking, uh, taking in this case, she had a location that she could use as sort of like a a baseline, like these are the, the characteristics that I want to be able to see. And uh, it's that kind of information that can just give you a little bit more confidence than when you're going into a new market and, and give you pointers on where to look first. Wow, that's amazing. Can you talk about the importance of finding the perfect location for a new franchise? And how can prospective franchisees mitigate the risk of choosing the wrong location? Okay, yeah, I'll I'll try and keep this one brief. So we always talk about how site selection and choosing real estate locations, it's a bit of an art and it's a bit of a science. The science is having access to data <laughs> largely and you know knowing what to do with it. And then the art is really having that local market knowledge, which you can either get from being and you know living and breathing in a certain area and understanding hotspots and you know what people are like there or working with a broker to Adrian, Adrian's point earlier, there's lots of brokers that, uh, that carry that sort of boots on the ground information about different cities and neighborhoods. There's definitely those two things that you can try to harness if you're looking to mitigate the risk of opening that first location or, or any location for that matter. The importance is, uh, we've talked about this a bit, it's, it's pretty significant. I mean, people make million dollar investments in real estate 
even if you're not purchasing a property, rents are, are quite high in, in most urban and suburban markets in Canada right now. So it's a, it's a, it's a big investment. Um, and I, we are seeing that overall, you know, there's more creative leasing formats coming out where sometimes landlords are willing to experiment with like some shorter term lease arrangements or maybe creative space partnerships. But usually when people are picking a site, opening the business, uh, a long-term lease is sort of to be expected. So you really want to make sure that when you're, you're signing off on that, that it's going to be a good decision and, and something that will work long-term. Mm-hmm. Great. And Adrian, what are some common mistakes business owners may make when they're looking for a retail location? The perspective I have on this is coming up with the, with the grant program itself. You have to kind of put your head into the mind space of somebody in the position of starting a business and everything that goes along with that and looking to grow it. So when I look at the mountain of work that goes into First of all, coming up with a concept that people want and that has the potential to scale, but then also figuring out how to execute on that from an operational standpoint and then figure out the real estate strategy and then figure out the hiring and, and ordering everything. It's, it's an insane amount of work that has to go into it for it to even have a chance at being successful. So when I look at all of that, that these people are managing, you can't call it a mistake, but the challenge, the limitation is that at that point in a business is journey the resources are, are limited one person has to wear three or four or five hats it's a lot of things to keep track of so what i see the biggest challenge is uh, the the founder the owner the whatever the manager trying to do all those things with the business and choose the perfect site and figure out exactly what to let their brokers know their real estate brokers hey this is where i'm looking this is what's important to me this is what i'm looking for it's so many things to balance so it's again it's not i don't think it's a mistake so much as a hard position to be in a very challenging position to be in so hopefully that's that's where the program can help it's at least to knock off some of that stress some of that workload that goes into finding the right uh, location And the next question is for both of you. Uh, What are some key lessons you've learned with Pinpoint over the past year or throughout your entire career with the brand? So Sarah, do you want to go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can start and Adrian, you can jump in. Kind of had some thoughts around, you know, what what advice I would have specific to COVID and sort of this like post-pandemic reality that people are in. So some things that have become like very clear to us this year is that there is a really significant shift happening with consumers and there's a totally different type of consumer that retailers are now, you know, serving and and learning to adapt to uh, in three sort of ways. So first of all, consumers are becoming more and more adaptive in the way they want to shop. People saw that uh, significantly with online sales <laughs> and uh, every generation adopting, you know, e-commerce and curbside pickup and all of these different kinds of delivery channels. So that's something to keep in mind, you know, when, when opening a new business. Another thing with consumers is that they're becoming more dispersed in where they live, you know, for a long time, like a, a dense downtown urban market was kind of the be all end all for the best real estate and where you could really capture the the best market and downtown rents and, and, and real estate really are not as attractive as they used to be just because of COVID and, you know, the effects of social distancing and, and lockdowns and things like that. So more and more people are, are moving 
And there's a bit of a migration happening to the suburban markets. And I would just say, you know, those aren't markets to be maybe looked over as much as, you know, in the past, people have kind of tended to gravitate towards that like really urban market. And then the third thing that I'll maybe just speak to is I think people are becoming more and more conscious around, you know, where, where they spend their money, what their priorities are, how they want to spend their time. I mean, you see it even just with a lot of people working from home and no longer commuting. I think people are discovering new things that they want to do with their time. And COVID's kind of been a real, you know, perspective knocking kind of experience for everybody where you sort of think about a little bit more about what your priorities are. And I think that needs to be reflected in, in retail in order for people to kind of, um, or for businesses to continue to secure people's wallet share, if you will. So that's a, that's a, a couple different things just around consumers. And I think we're going to see really changed behavior for a long time because of COVID. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And Sarah, we were even, we have uh, every Monday, we have a team just lunch, just a zoom call we were talking about not even specific to retail, but just people's behavior in general. And now it's changed right now. We were talking about when you watch TV or you watch a movie or something and people are getting too close, that anxiety you feel. You think like, well, no, you can't go in that, you're not wearing a mask. Like that weird thing that's happened right now. Or you said that, I'm sorry, was it your friend or was it a cousin of yours that just had a baby, Sarah? Oh, cousin of mine, yeah. A cousin of yours just had a baby. And when you went to meet the baby, you had to stay six feet apart, can't hold the baby. Like these, these weird, it's almost like, thing, the, the, one of the things I said was that we look at these behaviors now and that's what feels normal. And we compared it to, you know, meeting rooms we used to have where you're doing an interview or maybe a couple of people are on one call and you book a room and you go and sit down at a co-working space. And it's like, you know, it's like a booth of a train and you're sitting there and everyone's breathing the same air. And for all these years, you just didn't think anything of that. But the thought of that now is like, oh, gross. Like I'm breathing at you. You're breathing at me. We're talking. That seems so foreign. But the thing to remember is that that's not, uh, this isn't exactly related to retail. Although I, I suppose there are re- retail implications. It's like, that's normal. This isn't normal. We, it's, it, we've, we've shifted. A lot of us, I think, have made the shift of believing that this is normal, but it's not. People need to be close to one another. There's something about being close and establishing whatever in each in each uh, circumstance, what's the comfortable personal distance that people maintain? It's kind of like a dance that happens when people are standing next to each other talking. That's normal. That's all part of people getting to know each other and develop relationships. So it, it's really, really interesting to see the changes that have been made in people, but also the retail shopping experience. I was just talking with uh, uh, somebody in San Francisco before this before this call, and I was asking, what's it like there now? We saying, ah, it's like, you know, maybe 50% of businesses are open. But what's interesting is that people at the grocery store are used to lining up six feet apart. And then the, the cashier is saying, okay, go here, go there, go there. But then one day every, the cashier said, okay, no, don't, you don't have to line up anymore. We don't have to tell you where to cash out. And it's like, now it ta- it's, it's uh, learning again for people to figure out, okay, I just like get my groceries and then I go to where I normally check out and I just check out in a normal way. Like there's going to be a shift back to how do you start to, I suppose, thinking about the retail environment? Like when are these, whenever we make it to the other side of this thing, when are the extra precautions going to be pulled back, you know, in the retail environment, the plexiglass, the six feet apart, the which way to go in the the aisles, the direction of the aisles, all these things. It's like, we, we really have to tip our hat to everybody who established those things. And as a culture to have adopted those new norms 
how long is it going to take once we're able to, to roll back and go back to the way things before and what things are going to remain from this? Like, yeah, maybe it is more sanitary to, to maintain your distance from people. But again, that's part of the experience is to, you know, like in, in bars too, like there's areas, I remember watching uh, Bar Rescue with John Taffer. If you've ever watched that show, it was so, so entertaining. I forget what he called it, but he came up with an idea that to be, for people to get from one area within a bar or a dancing club or something like that to the next, there's like a corral, you know, an unnecessary tightening of an area to pass through to force people to kind of like get close to each other when they're walking through because it, it forces those social interactions. Those are interesting, I think, um, choices that retailers, that, that restaurateurs have made to encourage the ambience that they're trying to set up. And uh, you certainly you can't have that now, but you know, how long until people can have that again? Mm-hmm. Big tangent. Anyways, that was, uh, that's what I've been thinking about sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it makes me think of one other thing too, and that's that because we're not back to normal yet, and there's still going to be a bit of time until that happens. I think there's a, there's still an opportunity for retailers or new entrepreneurs who are starting out to really be experimenting with different formats of retail or, or, or service, whatever it is. Like there's, there's a, a grace period still with consumers where they're, you know, they know things aren't going to be quite the same as they were before. And there might be different ways of, of how a business looks. And I think that's, it's like, um, what's the saying? Don't waste a, a crisis, right? <laughs> um, mm. There's some cool experiments that people can take advantage of doing right now that normally consumers just wouldn't maybe adopt it. But, but right now we're in this sort of crazy in-between. And, and so there's that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point. Okay, final question is for both of you. What advice do you have for those who are considering franchising right now and may not know where to start either in general or in finding the right location? Yeah, my, uh, my advice is, given the context that we spoke of earlier with how many different priorities these people have to manage, you got to get the right team in place. And I know that's easy to say as somebody who's not doing that myself right now, but a great place to start is the CFA. If you're in Canada, reach out and get to know who's who's involved in the industry and what resources are available to you. Figure out what the concept is. If it's uh, somebody who's looking to get into franchising, figure out what the concept should be, what makes sense for you, what brand you, you can align yourself with in terms of values, in terms of the business model, everything. The people you would be ultimately franchising with, like from corporate, make sure you get along, make sure you understand what they're all about. Yeah. And, and meet the right brokers. We can recommend, we work with a number of brokers throughout Canada. So if you're looking for people that you want to try to figure out who it is you want to work with, then we can certainly make some recommendations. And yeah, for the, for the, regarding the grant program, you are at the point that you have real estate that you can take a look at uh, and you, and you want some help getting a little bit more scientific at comparing sites for sure. Reach out. We'd be more than happy to help how we can. This was great. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you, Stephanie. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening. For more franchising resources, including how-to articles, expert advice, franchisee success stories, and franchise opportunities, visit FranchiseCanada.online. Don't forget to subscribe to Franchise Canada eNews while you're there. You can also learn more about franchising at CFA.ca and can connect to specific franchise opportunities at LookForFranchise.ca.